Hey, today is a different kind of message. Last week at Central Heights, we finished a series in the Gospel of Luke. Next week, we're going to begin a series on relationships, better relationships. But for today, we thought we'd hit the pause button. Think about the past, think about where we are in the present, and contemplate our future as followers of Jesus Christ, the past. Looking in the rearview mirror, hey, no matter who you are, what you do, whether you're retired, working, a student, each and every one of us has been affected by this global situation labeled a pandemic. Myself personally, just over 14 months ago, I was in Europe visiting some of our missionaries, including Italy, only to come home and soon thereafter seeing images on the television of how hard COVID hit there. I came back from a sabbatical in March of 2020 Got to see our church family for one weekend, one Sunday, and only thereafter to have everything shut down, restrictions as to how you meet, whether you can work, if you work. Each and every one of us has a story as to how this pandemic has affected us and affected our thinking and the way we live our lives. And I think including how we relate to God and follow him. COVID-19. Now I know some of us are so done with hearing about that. But that's not the only thing that has affected us over the last 12 to 14 months. On May 25th, 2020, a black man by the name of George Floyd was in the, in the custody of the Minneapolis police as a police officer put his uh, knee on his neck for over nine minutes, restricting his oxygen flow. George Floyd died. It triggered racial tensions and an eruption of clash of ideologies and some very necessary conversations, some which have been so good, but some which have not been so helpful. And who can forget the political partisanship, the divide along lines of, of policy and the skepticism around news and what is fake and what is real, depending on the source and their bias now, much of this happened in south of us in the United States, but given its stature in the world, it spills out into the rest of the world, especially the West and its neighbor, Canada. In Canada, during the last 12 to 14 months, there's been a considerable contraction of our, of our economy. Uh, over 3 million people finding themselves out of work, plumbing, them, plumbing ourselves into personal debt, but also as the government responds as it necessarily needed to in some fashion, plunging our national debt further and further, accelerating it. COVID-19, racial tensions, political divide, economic trouble, personal, national, and then COVID again, the UK variant, the Brazil variant, all these things, it's been a shaking, and I know for so many of us, it's been hard. So what does that say about God? If you are a follower of Jesus, why the difficulty? Does the difficulty match with your expectation of God in your life, or does it indicate that God doesn't care, or that God isn't there? Jesus said when he came on earth that he came to bring abundant life. So what gives? Are his promises false or have we misunderstood what the abundant life is all about? What it means to flourish in relationship with God? Hey, I want to put my proposition on the table right from the start here. Past, present, future. God's people will encounter difficulty. This does not expose a God who is faithless, but reveals a God who is faithful and worthy of our wholehearted trust and endurance. 
As you look at the story of God with his people going back into the Old Testament, you see how this plays out. Let me give you just one example. I'll set the context for you. I'm sure you're probably familiar with the story of the Exodus, how God comes to a, a nation of people and delivers them from slavery. He causes there to be 10 plagues uh, to happen so that the ruler Pharaoh eventually will let the people go. But having let the people go, as Moses, the leader, begins to lead the people towards the promised land that God has promised them, right at the beginning, right at the start, Pharaoh has a change of heart. And so he chases after the people. And the people find themselves geographically trapped. And God does an amazing, amazing thing. He causes the waters of the Red Sea to wall up, to split and the people of Israel walk through on dry ground to the other side. And when their feet hit the other side and they look back and they see Pharaoh and his army chasing after them, the waters come over them and they are drowned. And the people of Israel are safe. Now, can you imagine what that must have been like? How thrilled and exciting. It just, it makes you want to break out into praise and song. And that's exactly what they did. We read about that in Exodus chapter 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. The whole nation is singing this song. I mean, of course, there's jubilation, excitement, celebration. And you would think after seeing and experiencing what they have, the 10 plagues, the, the separation of the sea, and they walk across the Red Sea in safety, and then their enemies are engulfed in the waters, that would forever cement your trust in the living God. But we read in just a few verses later, a few days later, this. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink the water of Merah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Merah. And the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? As the people grumble, God works through Moses to do another miracle and he turns the water from bitter to sweet and so their thirst is satisfied. And then Moses leads them to another place called Elam where there's these springs of water and palm trees. I mean, what a great place. But soon thereafter, the people become hungry. I mean, they, they are in the wilderness and the scriptures relay this. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Called by God to a promised land, their journey will be marked by difficulty. Bitter water, lack of water, Lack of food, lack of meat. Now that's difficulty from my perspective. Hostile nations. Though God is with them, though God is leading them, this will be their experience. Difficulty. And the people seldom respond well so that their difficulties increased by the discipline of God. Now think about our context. Sometimes the New Testament writers refer to our relationship with God as a spiritual exodus. We have been delivered from a previous way of life, set free from slavery to sin into a relationship with God. 
But that's just the start. God wants to take us somewhere. He wants to transform us into his image. He wants to transform our thinking, our motivations, the way that we relate to one another so that we become this like different kind of people. Um, scripture describes it as a city on a hill. And God uses experiences to, to do that, to mold us, to shape us, to reveal things to us, to purify us. So here we are in the present, and we've experienced quite the ride in the past. And where does that find you today? Maybe, maybe it finds you feeling so lonely because there's been so much isolation. Maybe it finds you anxious because, I mean, if you listen to the news, there's so much to fear. Maybe it finds you under financial stress. I mean, over 50% of Canadians say right now they are $200 a month away from not being able to pay their bills. Maybe this finds you today in relational stress. Law companies are saying they're getting bombarded with, with calls, up to 40% more calls around separation and divorce because relationships are so struggling. Maybe this finds you in spiritual drift. We know that 30 to 50% of people have disconnected themselves from their previous community of faith and probably maybe today finds you in a place of just feeling loss the loss of a graduation or the loss of a wedding the way you imagined it to be or the loss of a loved one. So what's your perspective today? Is it faith-filled? Is it hope-filled? Or is it discouraged, disappointed, maybe even skeptical or fatalistic? I like cycling. It's for me great to get into the outdoors. It's good for fitness and you get to see the countryside. My whole family is now into cycling and sometimes we get to ride with at least a couple of each other. When I ride close to home, I have a number of different routes that I take and I pretty well know what to expect. But last year I took a ride with my son-in-law, Justin, where he lived in unfamiliar territory to me, I would have to just trust him. At one point we went up this long steep hill and as we were doing so, Justin was progressively getting further and further ahead. I figured, you know, maybe this is a rite of passage for a young son-in-law trying to show how fit and strong he is, worthy of my daughter's hand in marriage. As Justin disappeared, I continued up the incline and, and it was difficult and, you know, I'm breathing hard, I'm getting tired, but I'm going to make it. I'm determined to make it. Call it father-in-law pride. I get to the crest of the hill only to be washed over with sadness and disappointment, realizing there's another hill to climb. And as I got there, here comes Justin racing down the hill towards me with a big smile on his face. He's going to go down the hill and ascend this beast again. Show off, I thought in my mind. And I began to presume my ascent, only to find my legs felt like lead and I wasn't getting anywhere. Looking around and seeing no one, I've never told Justin this and you won't tell him either, right? I don't think I've ever done this. I got off my bike and started to walk my bike up the hill for a minute or two before getting back on and, and finishing the climb. I mean, another hill to climb? I just wasn't mentally prepared for it. As you read the story of Israel and you see how God brings them through the desert, and yeah, there's been lots of difficulty, he does bring them to the brink of the promised land only to find there's another hill to climb. They send spies into, into Canaan 
And they come back with this message that they're like giants to us and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. Translation, like this is gonna be difficult. And when you're road weary and tired, this seems like impossible. Have you ever read the story of Israel and and their journey to the promised land and, and thought, come on guys, look at all the things that God has done for you. Look at the miracles that you have seen. Don't you know you you can trust God? He's always come through for you. And and you know the story from beginning to end and and you just want to scream at them. Don't you know he'll take you in? You'll get it. You'll walk in it. You'll experience it. But they don't. They don't trust God. They don't believe in him. And a whole generation never enters into the promise of God. We read about this story in several places in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He goes on, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we may not desire evil as they did. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom? The end of the ages has come. Can we learn from their example? Do we map it onto ours and learn some things? And what have we learned from the experience of COVID-19 and all that's gone on in the last 12 to 14 months? Another New Testament writer to the people in Hebrews writes this, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Today, I want to encourage you to hold your confidence in God firm to the end. I want you to be so optimistic about the goodness of God and to see that God in in our hardest times shows himself the most faithful. And I want to prepare you that yes, Maybe there is another hill to climb. It might be for you personally. It might be for all of us as followers of Jesus Christ in in an increasingly hostile environment towards Jesus and and his way of teaching. Jesus did say, you know, they persecuted me. They're going to persecute me or persecute you. In this life, you will have trouble. Difficulty does not mean that God has abandoned you and I what it does show us is that this world can't give us the best that is yet to come. Difficulty does not mean that we can't taste part of that life to come, but that we understand that we can only taste it in its fullness when Jesus returns, when once again we will see that every promise of God is yes and amen in him. In that light, let's think about our future. Sure, it's reasonable to think that there are certain things around the corner that are probably most likely. 
A vaccine rollout has begun. And I know for some of you, this, you don't see this as a good thing. But regardless of your opinion, it could very well be likely that restrictions will dissipate within the near future and life will go back to somewhat like it was before. Except under COVID-19, our habits have changed. And you know, how you think about work or how you think about working out or your purchases or, you know, this has all changed because of what we've been through, including how we do church. We know that doing church online is not gonna go away in the future. We also know that there's a great hunger and rightly so for people to meet in person. Some people say the future of the church is digital, physical, digital, but we'll all have to adapt. But there's more changes coming. What about artificial intelligence? What about genetics? What about the reach of the government and, and the sharing of information? Like, where is this all going to take us? Should we be concerned? Or Please tell me that life is going to be better, right? If the past tells us anything, it tells us this. We can't be certain of what's coming towards us around the corner. What we can do is, is to determine how we are going to respond to our circumstances. See, I know some people that going through COVID-19 and all we've experienced, that was not their biggest challenge. As followers of Jesus Christ, there was something much bigger in their life that they had to respond to. And I think that's indicative of what life is going to be like, like the children of Israel walking through the wilderness. There's going to be places where we're, we're in springs of water and palm trees and life is good and it's peaceful. But there are also going to be these times that are going to be difficult there is going to be another hill to climb. So how do we do that well? John Stone Street, who is the CEO of the Colson Center for Christian Worldview, says the challenge of God's people in any moment is to keep the story straight. Don't let the moment become bigger than God. Don't let the moment blind you to the story that you are part of. I wanna give you six things today that will help us to do that well. First of all, God is our primary source and prayer is our first recourse. The nation of Israel was delivered from Egypt in a response to prayer. As they cried out to God, we are told, God heard and he answered by coming down and delivering them. God shows himself to be like a father who wants the people to cry out to him, who wants the people to look to him for their provision, for their guidance, and for their supply. I mean, I think if you're a parent or a grandparent, you're going to get this. You know, aside from a child maybe that feels entitled and they're bratty, when a child comes to you and they're like humble and they're trusting and they just look to you with their eyes, you know, for something, like you just want to help them. You want to be their provider, their protector. You want to be there for them. Where did we get that from? Well, we're made in the image of God. God who created the world by just speaking it into existence, who has all power. God who has all wisdom to make the world work. God who understands how everything works. He understands who is thinking what and how they're working together. Talk about inside information. What a source to go to. Go to God before Google. God says to the children of Israel, in Psalm chapter 81, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Elsewhere, God says, ask of me, like pray to me. I want to answer. I think it's so sad sometimes how difficult we find it to pray. And I know for some of us, it's a struggle. But just think of it as like you're having a conversation with a person because God is a person. 
Think about talking to someone who cares for you and understands you because that is God. And think about having a conversation more than once a month because that is what people do who, who actually like or love each other. Prayer is learned by doing. Just start doing it. Do it with others. Do it alone, but just start doing it. I remember when I was a pastor in Vancouver, I met this woman who was a missionary from South Korea to Canada. Her name was Grace Lee. And man, she was a woman of prayer. I loved, we would sometimes have prayer meetings. I loved being with her, listening to her pray. And one day she told me her story, like prayer had not always been part of her life. When, when she was a Christian, she started with five minutes of prayer a day. She made a commitment to that. And soon that just naturally developed further to 10 minutes and then half an hour. And then eventually in her life, a call to be a person who spent lots and lots of time in prayer. Let me just encourage you today, wherever you're at, whatever your prayer life looks, looks at, instead of being discouraged by it, just, just get into it and just add a little bit more and see what God does in your life. As we look to him as our primary source, we are reminded that God is bigger than our moment. Secondly, Jesus is the ultimate ruler. Have you been disappointed by government? I mean, how much faith have you put in government? The early Christians had this saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. What they meant by that is that although Roman was in power and Caesar ruled, he was not the ultimate ruler. They looked beyond their government to see that who was truly in control and in authority and on the throne was Jesus Christ. He was Lord. And they wanted to submit their lives, how, what they thought, how they lived to his lordship, to his authority and to his rule. And that would lead them into the best life here on earth. Now, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God, but God is inviting you into that kind of relationship where he would be the, the authority over your life, where you would trust him as your primary source, but also the one who, who will look over you, who is the government over your life, if you will. You can enter into that today by asking him, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Thirdly, we have help. Before Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he told his disciples, I'm going to leave you. And they were really sad, but he said, you don't need to be sad because I'm going to leave another comforter with you. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. In Acts chapter 1, Luke's sequel, we see Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon and he says, because he's ascended to the right hand of the Father, Jesus has poured out this, the Holy Spirit. Jesus kept his promise and his believers receive the power and presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have, may have heard of these new bicycles. They're called electric bicycles. Uh, these e-bicycles have a motor with them that, you know, help you move along faster and help you when you have difficulties. Certainly not for purists like me, but a couple of times I've been riding when and going up a hill in more of a residential area when an e-bike has passed me. And it's, it's funny because they do this Canadian thing. They apologize for passing you. Sorry. And they go by because they know that they have an unfair advantage as I'm struggling away to get up the hill you know, they have this help so they can go up that hill at a much faster pace with way less effort. And I'm thinking, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to say sorry. That's maybe pretty smart. We would be smart to realize that when we feel like we, we can't make that next hill, like we don't have enough in ourselves, we are not alone. 
we have help. God has given us his Holy Spirit who comes and empowers us and enables us, who works through us to, to make it through things we thought we never could because we're not doing it on our, on our own. We have his strength. And in times when we think about all the uncertainty around us, know this, the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and he takes us into places of truth. How necessary is that as we think about the uncertainty and how fast technology and information is multiplying? We have the Holy Spirit and we need him, but we have his help. And we have other help. Also, we have each other. The writer to the Hebrews, he talks about the Holy Spirit, but look at what he says in another section as he wants to encourage this group of people to remain faithful to Jesus in a time of trial. He says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we are going to do well in our walk with Jesus, we will need to do it in community because we need each other to support one another and encourage one another. There's just so many things coming at us to, to detract us and, and, and take us away. We need to have one another in each other's lives. Listen, I know for some that the church is, has been disappointing or, or, or the church has let you down. The church is made up of flawed people, but they're on a journey with God who's taking them from one place in, his, in their relationship with him to another. Even as a leader, like I'm a flawed leader and, and, and I don't lead perfectly, but I do know this. The church is and will always be the place of God's promised presence and the vehicle through whom he works most powerfully. If you're not connected into a local church and, and if, you're, if you're somehow associated to Central Heights, we invite you to get connected into a community group. Engage with church at home, with others, like in a watch party or with a community group or with family. And as restrictions open up and we will have opportunity to meet, may look differently, what matters is not how we meet, whether it's online or in person, but that we do meet. We have help, the Holy Spirit, and we have each other. Fourthly, Christ followers will suffer. I know I have spent a bit of time on this, but I think it warrants restating. We shouldn't be surprised if we go through difficulty. Peter so much as says that. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter says we can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Because the fifth thing, we are looking forward to a new world. Our circumstances don't change the story. And this future, when we think about the future, is the most important part of the story. There is coming a day that God is moving us towards when all our hopes, all our dreams, all that we yearn for, yearn for will be completely fulfilled in Christ Jesus and the world that he has for us. If we don't know that, if we don't live with that in mind, it's like going to a job and doing the same thing day after day and it's really hard, but you have no purpose. You're not working towards anything. Like how fulfilling is that? How long is it gonna be till you're completely dispassionate? 
But as followers of Jesus Christ, our story is not only that God has done a work in our lives now, but that he's taking us towards something, a promised land that is an eternity with Jesus Christ and all those who believe in him. We are looking forward to a new world. Before we get there, there's one more thing. Number six, we have a mission to fulfill. The reason why we continue to experience mixture in our life, while there still continues to be difficulty, why Jesus hasn't come yet and made everything right is because of this fact. God is not willing that any should perish. He's being patient. He is waiting for people to come into a living relationship with him. When Jesus comes again and sets everything right, there's no more opportunity to enter into that relationship with him. In that light, we have an eternally purposeful mission to carry out, to see people come and know Jesus. So church, let's keep the mission in front of us to engage, equip, empower people to follow Jesus. Let's keep that vision at the forefront of us, coming out of the great commission and the great commandment, that we would be a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our city and the world. And there's so many of you that I want to commend in this time of difficulty with the pandemic. You still found out ways to reach out and to serve other people, like the clothing closet we highlighted today. Finding a way to be on mission, still sharing with others in word and in deed the love of God in Jesus Christ. Keep on. Keep your confidence high. Keep on believing. Keep the story straight. Do that by rehearsing, rehearsing the story in your thinking, looking at the scripture, reading it from back to front. Draw from it as I've tried to help us do today. Learn from it. Keep the story straight. Let it help you direct you again to God as your primary source and drive you to your knees in prayer to look to him as your Lord, obeying him as you depend on him, asking for the help of his Holy Spirit, placing yourself in a community with other Christ followers who want to follow him passionately, staying on mission as we look to a new world where we'll spend eternity with him. God is faithful. He is for you. He is with you in your past, in your present, in your future.